John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 1408.DE0206, certificate number 31448. Wampum. I'd like to start off the show by apologizing for having uh, stolen native land. All of it. Although they just got part of Oklahoma back in a six, three Supreme court decision, I think written by one of the conservatives, Neil Gorsuch, I think. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't read this, but are they the native, the original, uh, aboriginal inhabitants of Oklahoma or are they the residents of Oklahoma that were, uh, deposited there Yes, due to the trail of exactly. Tears. So That's Oklahoma bad. was Indian. To, I mean, I don't even know what what tribes would have been in Oklahoma before we moved everyone else there. Uh, the original uh, inhabitants of Oklahoma would have been the Apache. Really? Yeah, they got that far east. Yeah, and then it's funny how I imagine everybody being in western and worse lands than they were actually from. Weird. I wonder how that could have happened. <laughs> well, the the tribes that we think of as living in Oklahoma that were forced there were all the tribes from Georgia Florida, and the Southeast. Yeah, Cherokee. The Cherokee yeah. and the Creek and the Choctaw um, and the Seminole. But but those uh, those those tribes, you know, they had much more verdant home countries. No, er- but the Apaches were from there originally. Earlier this year, in uh, the, the case of McGirt v. Oklahoma. Oh, McGirt v. Oklahoma. Newly uh, minted uh, uh, seat stealer Neil Gorsuch joined the liberal justices in finding that the Creek Nation still had its 19th century tribal rights, including uh, the right to hold criminal trials, like the state of Oklahoma does not have criminal jurisdiction over really? uh, acts committed in eastern Oklahoma, which is really a groundbreaking yeah, decision for Native American autonomy and sovereignty, which which had not been the way states had been interpreting that kind of stuff. No, although I wonder or, whether— or the, let's say the way in which any white people have been interpreting, you know, Native rights laws for centuries. Well, and we will talk about that today. Um, what do you know about— Wampum. What does it suggest when you hear the the term? I almost feel bad saying it hmm. because um, it sounds like I, I think it's kind of a mid twentieth century signifier for like a, a white person's misunderstood idea 
of native culture. So cool. it, I don't feel bad about that, Ken. Just lay right into it because that's pretty much what. Oh, we, is have, that what it oh is? we have to go on. <laughs> no, no, it's not what it is at all, but, oh, but that's where we start. That's our starting point. Well, I think it's even the sounds of the word, and maybe that's why it caught on with white people, is it kind of sounds like a, a parody of of uh, sure. of, sort of, how of Native American English. English, yeah, saying how and heap, heap big uh, warrior and, you know, me. Like, there's some um, early movies and cartoons version of Native American speak, you know, terrible stereotypes that often involve ending verbs with an um mm-hmm. sound, like uh, me, me, take him, him, scalp, you know, sure. that kind of a thing, uh, that wampum sounds like it's in line with. Uh, like, uh, and... It almost sounds unreal, like it like it wouldn't have yeah, been it, an actual coinage. Yes, if someone had told me there's no such thing as wampum, that's uh, uh, a Hollywood invention, just like, you know, certain kinds of peace pipes and war whoops and all the rest. I right. would totally believe you, but that's not true. Wampum is a real thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a shortened form of Wampanoag, which would have been a, a, a tribe, an East coast tribe, but, but, um, but all of the kind of East coast names, uh, there are a lot of native American names that, and words that were just hard for Westerners to pronounce and to parse a lot of sounds that weren't in the, in the, um, Sonic vocabulary, and I'm sure we weren't trying super hard. It but probably they, didn't trouble us that much. But it isn't a it isn't a Western coinage. Wampum is what it would have been called at the time. Um, but what do you think wampum is? What does it conjure? I assumed, or it's usually treated as if it's uh, Indian money. It, right. it has something to do with however their economic system of exchange works, and I don't know what that is. But it, it's uh, it's. Actually, I just had to think for a second to make sure. No, it, you don't eat it. That's what do you eat? Pemmican. Oh, pem- <laughs> pem- pemmican is dried beef, right? Is it, isn't there some <laughs> other similar word that becomes like, uh, you know, Indian trail food in other kinds of? I don't know what I'm getting. Oh, I see saying. what you're saying. I'm trying to think of what that what that could be. Maybe I am thinking of pemmican. Simoleons. <laughs> yeah, probably simoleons. <laughs> mm, sit down to a big bowl of simoleons. Uh, well, in, in that sense, you do eat wampum, um, because wampum is made from the shells of whelks and clams. Oh. So wampum is, um, is initially a food, uh, or at least is the, is the byproduct of food. Um, so it's also kind of the source of why we call money clams. Oh, is that true? Yeah, because it was, you know, it, it's um, what a gift. It's one one hundred percent manufactured from clamshells. A lot of our money uh, uh, slang terms are edible, right? It's kale and spinach and Cake. dough and bread. And yeah, like we're not even sure what food group it is. Sometimes it's vegetables. Sometimes it's seafood. Sometimes it's carbs. Right. It's rarely meat. You never say, uh, that'll be 150 McNuggets. Yeah, who's got the beef? And you're not talking about money. You're talking about... <laughs> That's something else. Well, and it, and it, and it makes sense because, because human beings, um, all, I mean, all... That's all where it e- comes from. All yeah. initial economies are barter economies or, or trade economies. Of basic goods like food and... Food and crops. fur. Right. Uh, and... Food and, and fur, is that basically... Food, fur, this tools. Is, this is your Alaska side coming out. <laughs> Uh, I guess now that I, upon reflection, the reason why I'm uncomfortable with words like wampum is because I don't know which of them are real and which are fake. Like if, like, I don't know if, uh, 
you know, if you, if you told me that powwow or, uh, I don't know, what's another example, like papoose, pipe. papoose or squaw, you know, these words that sound like they're of native etymology, you know, it could be the the other tribe saying something super rude. Right. Um, you know, there was a, some folk etymology that Oprah promulgated about squaw meaning, being an, uh, an anatomical term. Oh. So it's like a, it's like a really obscene insult. And that turned out to not be true. Right. I mean, there are other reasons not to use terms like squaw for a, for a woman of another race. <laughs> I as think if, so. As if it's another species that needs words for its young and its, and its genders. You know, that's, that's why we don't say Jewess and negress and words like that anymore because it, you know, it, it, it treats people of color like animals. Right. I, I, most of the Native American words that have entered into a, the, like sort of European American lexicon were originally Native American words that 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 had, in a lot of cases, like every word, much more complicated meaning mm. and kind of went through a, the squeezing aperture of being translated into a different language. And but, but sometimes from the wrong tribe, right? Like often we refer to tribes by the names their enemies gave them, for example. Right. And a lot of that is complicated by the, by the well, by pre-contact relationships between those tribes, right. but also post-con, uh, post-contact and post-conquest, a lot of forced movement of tribes, tribes that were traditionally enemies or had no relationship or, or, you know, um, a contested relationship being kind of forced together and being treated as a single entity because they had, they shared a language group or a region. We just assumed they were all the same. Oh, they, they, sure. they speak for the whole coastline. Sure, you're all Iroquois. I'm, a, I'm a sure. And it's like, there's 10 different, uh, groups of people that are like, what? None no. of you were wearing shirts. So we're just going to pretend you're all I mean, a lot of the Indian words, the Native American words we use without even thinking about it, are uh, the the things we didn't have words for, like the all the New World species, right? Like animals, like moose and caribou and skunk, chipmunk, like those are all things we didn't have names for, so we borrowed the Native words. I I always had a name for moose. What did you call them? Moose. Oh, what a, what a coincidence! That well, you and the and the uh, tribes agreed. The thing is, look at look at it. What else could it be? What are you going to call it? Big deer. But then, like plants, we didn't like, you know squash and uh, maize. Uh, I think maize is probably not. I think squ- <laughs> but uh, hominy is an Indian word. So is I got a list here. Uh, persimmon. Pe- You're saying that the word pecan? maize is not a, a, an indigenous word. I would not have thought so. It certainly doesn't have like the uh, the. Oh, it, because it's Central American. It's a Central American word. Oh, is that true? Yeah. It's a, so it's not a. It's not from the Iroquois, but it's from. Oh wait, no, no it's Spanish. But it, but I think it's Spanish from Taino, which is a Caribbean people. Right. I so, see. I see. So yeah, because I knew in Spain it was maize, but I guess it comes from. It switches around. Uh, in the in, in Belgium, the first time I encountered someone in Europe using the word, uh, a Belgian guy said. Would you like uh, Would you like to join me in uh, in some delicious mice? And I was like mice, and he was like, "Yes, we eat mice." <laughs> and I said, "I don't want mice." And he was like, "It's an American food, mice." Did, we went round and round. Did you tell him we call it maize? <laughs> My people call it maize. So I'm too young to actually remember the Mazzola commercial in question. But ever, since you said that once on Omnibus, I've had a uh, I don't know a Bader Meinhof phenomenon where I keep seeing the references to we call it maze. Yeah, it was very. It was that was a very popular commercial when I was a kid, and you know there was a lot of Native American iconography, sort of post, um, post like 
American Indian movement post capture of of um, Alcatraz and Wounded Knee. Do you think you, you think there was like a boom in it, like as if it might be respectful to do it? It was. I mean, you know, if you think about Marlon Brando refusing his Oscar um, or having a you know a Native American woman receive his Oscar for him. Oh no, it wasn't Brando. It was um, no, it was Brando. George C. Scott. They both refused, but Brando is the one that. Uh that had some woman, I think who was like a Puerto Rican woman or something, dress up as a, as a, like her, like her name was Marie Louise Cruz. I, I guess she is part Apache, but uh, she's half Apache and she took the name Sachin Littlefeather because that sounded more appropriate to the movement than Marie Louise Cruz. Right. But there was, there was a period in the 1970s where uh, like a, it was a it was a burgeoning awareness of cause celeb of Native American rights and um, and Native American activism kind of took uh, changed the conversation so that the kind of depiction of Native Americans in the 1950s as as you're saying just sort of the the bad guys in cowboy movies and, and um, you know and 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 their depiction as primitive people was by the 70s and 80s starting at least among among academics and people of good faith starting to become more uh and maybe erring complex. in the direction of making them kind of idealized figures you know the the crying indian in the littering yeah. ad and the, and this the is beautiful always, princesses on the on the margarine package this was a problem in or at least a, a state of affairs in the early contact period the idea that they were uh, that Native Americans were living in a state of of grace. The um, the whole idea that my people use every bit of the buffalo, just just suggesting that they um, that that being primitive was Acadian. Yeah, in the uh, I was watching the Terrence Malick movie about uh, Pocahontas. You know, the New World. Have, yeah. you, have you seen it? No. Uh, it's pretty great. Like, even if you don't like his more recent movies uh but there's a part in it where or the 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 colonists often the jamestown colonists often call the the locals the naturals yes and i looked it up and there actually are historical documents where the naturals is the word they used so as early as jamestown these people kind of had this uh idea of these slightly more than human uh yeah, people living in a state of grace. Yeah. And th- there was a huge difference between the Jamestown mentality and the Plymouth mentality um, because of the, the the very different kind of people that settled in Virginia versus settled in Massachusetts. And in Massachusetts, there was a much more, you know, the, the, the character of the Yankees was much more mercantile and much less um, philosophical in the, in, in the way that the the Jamestown settlers would have been more uh, sort of aristocratic and also looking for native aristocrats, right? The the idea that yeah. you could be born into a state rather than than be educated into a and state. And I think it's very big in the Pocahontas story, in particular, that she's a princess. Yes. You know, they want to take her back to England and show her off to uh, to to uh, Queen Elizabeth. And you don't see any of that in the Massachusetts relationships to the Native Americans that were living there. It's much more like who's in charge, who's the you know who's the chief, who has authority. Can I speak to your manager? That's right. It's How can a, I speak to your manager? It's like it's a sh- the Mayflower is a ship full of Karens. But when when Europeans arrived in 
the colonies. They did not bring a ton of money with them. If you can think of, if you can imagine you're filling up your ship, uh, are you going to fill it up with seeds or are you going to fill it up with bags of coin to take to a place where nobody's using coin? Sure. I mean, we talked about how the army can't even get coins to Iraq and Afghanistan. So when you're... They should have used pogs on the Mayflower. <laughs> you mean cans of pog? No. Bottles of pog? We've been over this. <laughs> when, you, when you arrive uh, in a location like that, you're prepared to in, engage in a barter economy, particularly if you are, um, if you're there primarily to trade. Uh, the, the, the pilgrims were there, as we know, to establish a, a new utopia. But when the Dutch arrived in the new world, they were there primarily to to begin a, a, a to to put trading posts and to collect and for, fur. And for that you need at least relationships with the native people. You can't ignore them or try to convert them. Right. And you have to have something to uh to barter with. And the Dutch did in fact begin bartering with glass beads when they arrived and this sort of apocryphal story of how the island of Manhattan was bought for $24 in glass beads, beads is kind of a you know that's kind of George Washington and the cherry tree. But the Dutch did did think of glass and jewelry, pretty things, as mediums of exchange. So the, at first, there's not a sense that we're going to victimize these people with mere trinkets, cheap trinkets to us that they're easily impressed by because they don't have glass blowing. Uh, I guess well, there could be some of that. There's a lot of that, and and trying to find something that um, that that functions as a medium of exchange. I mean, you can't you can't arrive in a location and in, and and really immediately just sort of implement money on on a new population that has to be something they value. And uh, a lot of times it's, it's metal tools and well, that's guns. What I'm, saying. And I'm, I'm just saying they didn't choose something that would have been valuable to both sides, like steel or silver. They, well, and they in, started with something that a, a Dutch guy could produce very easily. It's funny because, you know, bringing that stuff across the ocean also takes, uh, takes space on your boat. It's heavy. You know, it, it was not seen as nothing. And the Dutch saw when they arrived, I mean, all the colonists saw, that these beads, um, strings of white, alternating sort of white and black or dark purple beads, were very, very prevalent among the, the first contact tribes and clearly revered. Um, the tribes were already wearing stuff like this. The tribes were wearing not just necklaces, but but belts, strands of woven beads, and they used them. They they actively used them in daily life. Uh, they were they were exchanged. They were held in high esteem, um, and so oh, the Dutch were like these. These are money for them. Like, they, the, they thought this was the closest thing to currency that. That's right. This is money, and we have these glass beads. This is all the the, the this is sort of also fancy, um, and there was initially a kind of uh, maybe some curiosity on the part of the Native Americans, like, "Oh, glass beads! I guess you also have a bead." You guys are into beads oriented kind of culture, um, but like beads, we like beads. But there was not a money economy in the Native American world. Uh, what, what are uh, what are kind of called now? the um the eastern woodland tribes which is just a, ge a general sense uh, a, a descriptive idea for the tribes that occupied the east coast of the united states up to the plains and the plains indians being a very separate group of people and there would have been a ton of diversity there we're just classifying them by like the order in which 
Europeans met them. Yeah, and also there was a shared north, south, east, west economy of trade and of contact between those tribes where where the plains were a kind of dividing line culturally and, you know, there wasn't like coastal, by coastal trade at that time. But there would have been to the Great Lakes, there would have been down to Georgia, Appalachians, up up to uh, Nova Scotia, you know, the east coast. And so tell me about the beads that in, the, the tribes were wearing. Are they, they're not glass. What were they using for, for beads? So the beads were, were made from a couple of different kinds of whelk and clamshell mm. that were only found in the waters between basically Cape Cod and at the furthest, maybe Chesapeake Bay, but really located in the, in Long Island Sound, predominantly in Long Island. In fact, uh, so much so that the Lenape word for Long Island is Sawanaki, which is basically the name for the black shell of the, the, pl- of the place where we get those the hard sweet shell clams. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the white shells, initially wampum just referred to the, the shells of the, of the channeled whelk, the white shell. Uh, and eventually the word came to mean the combination of both, but the, the white shells and the black shells strung together on beads are strung, strung together on, on, um, you know, hide or, or string made out of various sort of, uh, reeds or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, they were an extremely symbolic language. What, in the pattern of in the pattern white, white and black in and the way that the in the way that the beads were made and in the patterns that they were uh, the, uh, they were woven together and the uh, both length and depth they were incredibly sophisticated and interpretable uh, documents. What would they say? Well, they said all kinds of things, um, and because they were only found in this one region but used throughout the eastern woodlands as a means of communication they had they had tremendous value um they were they were extremely rare and in order to manufacture them um it was it was very labor intensive because the shells didn't if you can think about working with clam shell it's not a very easily worked media um they needed to they worked meticulously to drill holes through these little yeah, shells they, they crack super easily yeah. the, the shells of my experience they had to be um they had to be kind of worked with sand and water and and uh, polished in many many stages so it was not just it was not just not a, a found object a found object right it was a processed and produced media but Depending on on the tribe and throughout the region, uh, wampum belts were sometimes they functioned as passports. They were they were things that you would present when you traveled to kind of uh, TSA. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, to say like this is my authority. This is on whose behalf I speak. Clearly, you can tell what village I'm from, right. who I'm speaking for. They were credentials of office. Uh, if you if you became a tribal leader, you would inherit the wampum uh, that denoted your station from the prior uh, the the prior owner, I guess, or the prior caretaker of the wampum. Mm-hmm. Wampum was used to um, the the use of names in pre-contact 
native societies, uh, names were incredibly significant. In fact, there was a, a sense that um, the names were eternal and that like people's names, you mean? Well, yeah. Like if you think about the naming ceremonies of, um, of indigenous tribes and how, how important a name is and how much a name is something that in a lot of cases is discovered about you rather than bestowed upon you. Uh, there, there's also a, a long history of names going from one person to another names that are, that actually the wampum is the name uh, not just the station. And you can, when you become the chief, you can, uh, you can assume the name of your predecessor or reject it. Uh, but the name, the name continues on. So wampum's a big concept. It's not just the thing. It's the halo of identity and history around the, the symbol. That's right. Uh, the symbolism it holds. And incredibly, um, and the symbolism is both, uh, it is something that you can apprehend at a distance and also then can be interpreted to pretty minute detail. Wampum was used to um, not just commemorate treaties, but actually to encode treaties. So I'm really interested in this because you're talking about it like it's a language and, you know, it's made of white and black. It's on off. Yeah, it reminds me of computer bits. It's, one it's, zero. it's basically a binary language. It is. And because and because there's high contrast between them, it's also essentially pixels. You know, it's uh-huh. a, it's a little screen you can see at a distance showing patterns and lines and so forth. Um it, you know, that's that's a that's a kind of exchange that you know, a computer scientist today would understand. If you think about the the language of the um pre contact people of the Andes that we've discovered over time is just knots on a string. Um, Also a kind of binary language, but these some, most of the time it's symbolic design. Every once in a while you see um, actually like representational drawings within. Oh, sometimes uh, sometimes it might look like very, 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 very rarely, but that's not their original language. That's post contact. But does it ever have pattern? Like is the, is the information encoded in such a way that there is abstract beauty going on in it? Or is it just, is it pretty much um, functional? Well, this was the problem with the, the, the initial contact of the Dutch with these, um, with wampum belts, because, it's very hard to explain, uh, particularly if there's any kind of like deep language gulf. Uh, it's very difficult in first contact to see wampum being worn and being presented and being exchanged and understand that it is not money. It's not being held in value because it is rare and beautiful. It's valuable because it was rare and beautiful, and that's. That was the media that we used to write our history, to write our philosophy, to communicate our, uh, like the eternal name of our, uh, ancestors, you know, like the value, it was made of gold, not because right. gold is valuable, but th- the value of gold is, is independent of how nice the carving on the coin is, right? But which is not true here, but we did choose gold because we value the concept so highly. Right, but if that's your thing, you kind of forget. You, you know, you kind of miss the history of how your symbols formed. And the, these first contact Europeans, they rarely erred on the side of assuming 
the complexity and legitimacy of the people they were dealing with. But a com- but it would have been a completely unprecedented, uncomprehendable language to someone coming from Europe who, at this point, has you know is dealing with language in a uh, yeah. You don't know all the reference points. Yeah, you don't know about Darmok, thousand years, Darmok and Jalad when the walls fell, <laughs> right? But also to encounter a group of people that are using what appear to be media of exchange and not impose an idea of money on it, at least for the Dutch. Or are you giving the Dutch credit for not making everybody switch to, uh, to Gilder? Gilders immediately? Well, they very quickly did. Because this show is not often a pro-Dutch podcast. We, we do take the Dutch down a peg, and rightfully so. But the Dutch, of <laughs> all people in the world, are going to see any two things being exchanged as a money economy, just because it's it's... Oh, I see those people. Yeah, I don't want to be racist against the Dutch again, but they really do they really do see things in terms of trade, right? Money and trade. And that was of all the people that uh from Europe that were encountering the Americas, um the Dutch were like not there to not there for religious freedom. Not there to baptize. Not there to to uh to build a new Russian er- or I'm sorry, uh, to uh, build a new uh, Nederlander aristocracy there. They weren't really there to enslave people. They did that other places. <laughs> um, what they were there to do was trade, to take fur out and to bring tea in, you know, uh, New York City, even today, basically has a Dutch mentality. They see America as a big vending machine yeah. where you put tea in the little slot and you hit the button, ka-ching, 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 and beaver pelts come out the bottom. So what they started to do was say, oh, you use wampum? Well, we'll use wampum too. We've got our Dutch wampum. And the uh, the Native Americans were, I think, kind of rightfully like, a lot of those, a lot of those initial contact relationships involved the... Um, Kind of both inhabitants, and it's strange to say now, given the, or I mean, it, it would be, it might be controversial to say, but there was a lot of attempt at goodwill uh, uh, from both parties. I mean, it was not initially completely driven by an exploitative nature on either side, but it's like, oh, here are new people here. Let's try and figure out a way to meet some common ground. The Dutch had read their their business books. They'd read Getting to Yes or whatever. Well, even as late as Thomas Jefferson. I mean, Jefferson wa- believed that there was um that there was every opportunity for Native Americans to be fully-fledged members of American society. It's just that his prejudice was that what once we civilize them is it that kind of thing? Yeah, that that well that everyone wants to leave behind a nomadic lifestyle to become a farmer. And so Jefferson spent, you know, so much effort trying to work with the native tribes to encourage them to settle. And the fact that they didn't want to settle was incomprehensible, but it wasn't that Jefferson just, just evidence that they're doing it wrong. Or as long just, as you guys keep on living in the woods, like so, it was so baffling, yeah. And so that that was, you know, th- there was a lot of colonial, um, just failure to to know what to do with a nomadic uh, society, and it wasn't it, they. It, the impulse was not always to just destroy, 
But in trying to interact, you're still going to destroy if you. You're going to destroy, yeah. right? Because it, you cannot have a uh, a society based on property and ownership and not conflict with a nomadic one if you're trying to share the land. If Thomas Jefferson wanted me to go work on a farm, I'd be like, no way, man. <laughs> I that's know. What, that's what I'd say. You're like, I'm a nomad. I'm a rebel, Dottie. I think I'd say, I live I'm in a, a city. Plus, I know how you treat the people on your farm, or at least the good looking ones. Well, John, we're getting to the end of 2020, and uh, I have a few notes. Oh, uh, uh, are you going to review two, 2020? Because I feel like that's a longer show. I just have some issues with 2020. There are a few, a few things about it haven't been ideal. I don't want to always be Mr. Nitpicking Guy. Sure. I mean, are you talking about personal things like you, like you had a hangnail or are you talking about something more general like... Well, just kind of the general state of global social and economic and uh, political chaos and crisis. Right. The fires in California. That, it was very smoky here for my birthday, which was not that cool. Wow. So yeah. basically it's all about your birthday. <laughs> but one good thing that happened in 2020 is Omnibus actually became uh, financially viable. That was... That was a wonderful day. Uh, thanks to our Patreon supporters. It's now been uh, just over a year since we uh, started our Patreon and made our benefit tiers available. Um, our supporters get things like access to an additional bonus episode every month, uh, the video and uh, still images on our image feed, signed show notes. What else we got? You can suggest a show topic. We actually will talk to you on uh, a Zoom call for yeah, we've been forty five minutes to an hour. We've been chatting with uh, with some of our supporters, and that's been fun. It has been fun, and because it's been a full year since it's now been a full year since some people have donated. I just wanted to. Oh wait, do their do their benefits re up at at the start of the new year? Yes, those are annual benefits. So not oh. only do you, if you continue to give to Omnibus. Through this, you know, into 2021, not only do you keep your access to the bonus episodes and the image feed on Patreon, but you're also going to get a new set of signed show notes. And we didn't know if people would want to, so we're also signing and sending you a, a chick tract of our choice. Uh-huh. We spent a long time signing some chick tracks. We're not uh, endorsing any of the particular messages in these chick tracks, especially the evil ones. But we just thought it would be fun for you to have. You know, I um, I came downstairs and it was clear to me that my daughter, a comic book lover, uh, had gone through the chick tracks. And I'm not sure. Did you sure. have to explain that the Catholics are not actually all in hell? With, yeah, I mean, there were. With, with the Jews and the communists? When we put the whole of the chick tracks world together boy it tells a pretty dark story of human life and so i haven't i just discovered that today i haven't gone and talked to her about it if we do send you a signed chick track maybe wait till you're in your happy place to read it because it might bum you out otherwise yeah i mean if you read it as hilarious campy uh like late 20th century apocalyptic garbage outsider art um then they're wonderful but don't believe a word of them except for the trucker one yes except for all the stuff that's true yeah right uh, and uh, that goes for the for the bigger rewards as well. Um, if you're still donating to the show at the Washing Bear level, you'll be able to choose a new show topic in nice. 2021. Nice. If you donate at the Omniversal Hypercoral level, John and I will be happy to chat with you again uh, through the miracle of uh, 
Zoom or Skype or what have you in 2021. We also have T-shirts available now uh, for uh, future links that want to rep the show out in the world. You can go to omnibusproject.com slash store to see what merch is currently available. We're going to continue to supplement that. But, but really, patreon.com slash omnibus has made such a difference in our lives and such a difference in um, – in just the 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 pride we have in the show and the fact that it's that it is self-sustaining and we were able to cast off the yoke of our corporate overlords um that's it's really it's really been uh validating it's patreon.com slash omnibus project oh that's what i if you go to slash omnibus you'll give to somebody else which would be nice no don't do that patreon.com slash omnibus project don't be nice just be nice to us So if you did give in 2020, you can continue to receive those benefits as long as you're a supporter. If you've considered joining, now is a great time. Join the well over 1,600 Omnibus supporters who are enjoying these benefits of the show. Thank you, everyone. We love you. God bless us, everyone. One of the first treaties... um, between Europeans and the uh, indigenous inhabitants of North America was a treaty called the Tawangashi Treaty in 1613. Ooh, that's pre-Plymouth. Super duper early between Dutch traders going up the Hudson River and the Mohawk Confederation. And this treaty was written in wampum. And it's called the Two-Row Wampum Treaty. I was going to ask, like, is there any way the Mohawk tribes really knew what they were getting into? But I guess if it's, if the Dutch took the trouble to to negotiate the treaty in wampum. It's the other way around. In this exchange, there was a, you know, there was a, a, a very sort of high level meeting of, uh, of Mohawk leaders and Dutch traders and they came together and agreed that they would that there was room here for everyone that they would share the land that there would be mutual respect and um i always wonder how this happens with a language gap well this is the thing this was all encoded in wampum which the mohawk were uh were able were i mean they're fluent in wampum man had had tre- it had tremendous uh legal in our sense it had tremendous standing yeah. it had tremendous weight very authoritative and also like uh at a like basically at the level of religion and civilization yes, it's right? ceremonial uh the wampum encoded this treaty between what what the Mohawk at the time perceived like, okay, well, here are white people, and here's the deal: we will share our land with you to the degree that it that we're capable of all living here together in peace. And this wampum, which was, by all accounts, completely, uh, the the, the Dutch who were engaged in this treaty had no idea of the symbolism of the wampum itself. They're just like, yeah, there's two kinds of shells. We get it. Yeah, they're like, oh, this is beautiful. What a beautiful belt. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Oh, I see. So they got handed the belt and thought it was a token of the deal. Or something. Yeah. And the thing is, what we can't know, the Dutch did not also have, the, there's no Rosetta Stone. 
the Dutch did not then write the treaty down in Dutch and the, and did not equate it Mm -hmm. with this belt. And so to this day, um, the, the native tribes of the East coast will refer to the two row wampum treaty as the first treaty between uh, American Indians and, and, and whites. And they are, um, for, I think for many centuries have felt like we, we wrote all this down the first time we met and you have betrayed every tenant. So it was, of all, it, was this, it was also the first broken treaty. Yeah. Well, saying. it's like, this is the document upon which all subsequent treaties are based. Look at the belt. So every subsequent treaty between those tribes and European, uh, adventurers and then ultimately uh, societies was predicated on a prior knowledge of this treaty in the in the Mohawk mind that's right and none of the white people they were dealing with had Have any idea any idea so what the Dutch did was they they seized upon this idea that wampum was a thing that had a lot of importance and it was a thing that they they saw it was difficult to manufacture but with the introduction of of iron tools, and the introduction of sort of Dutch mass production, they could make wampum. If that's what we're calling money, they can make wampum a lot faster than the traditional methods. Even if it's just glass, all you need is sand and heat, and there's you don't have, you don't have to ship that over. Well, and they saw the difference. Uh, wampum was revered, and glass beads very quickly sort of were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, 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 that's pretty and everything. They're but, like pogs. But the, They're a fad. The native tribes were like, no, with the glass beads, but okay, wampum. And they didn't, the wampum that was being delivered to them did not have any, it wasn't written. They're just getting nonsense wampum. It, it was just nonsense wampum. Your wampum sucks. But, the, but they do, they did use that wampum themselves for so many different uh, aspects of society that it did have intrinsic value. It was in the same way that gold. Sure, we'll take more shells. Yeah, we'll we can use these. We can turn these into all kinds of things. Like, okay, sure. And it was a and it was very gradually, although within a pretty short amount of time, that the tribes recognized that. Wait a minute, you're using this in a different way. You're using this as m- money, which is a kind of a new concept, but that's not how we use it. But there was also an explosion of trade at this time, fur and. Uh, you know, a lot of need for sort of all of the, all of the, all of the, those encounter economies, um, and a lot of competition within the tribes for those trade relationships Mm. and a lot of competition among European settlers, the pilgrims, the Dutch, the Jamestown people, the people in Delaware, the, the Philadelphians. You've got your choice of white devils to deal with. And every one of those white devils is in competition with one another for those relate, those trade relationships with the tribes. So a lot of the conflicts were based on how do we get exclusive rights to trade with the Mohawk or exclusive rights to trade with the, uh, Oneida. And the Oneida are also looking for, looking to kind of ace out their competitors and and maintain those relationships with with uh, with Rhode Island. I wonder if there's more buyers and sellers on the Indian side, which makes it a real race to the bottom because 
you know, the whites have more power to be like, hey, if the Oneida won't deal, we'll go to the Seneca or, or whatever. Whereas there's more, but they, it might be a little more limited the other way. You know what I'm saying? Fewer, there, there's, there's more uh, natives to deal with than there are new arrivals for a while. That's right. And then, and it changes an awful lot between 1615 and 1650. I mean, mm-hmm. a very short amount of time, but at, during that time, there are waves and waves of new arrivals from Europe who are establishing new towns, whole, whole new civilizations, right? Every new group is like, we're the Quakers. We're, we do things this way. We quake or whatever. And, and yeah, that's what they said. So they're in, they're in immediate competition with other Europeans. And imagine at first the tribes would have been like, you know, these guys, will, these guys won't stay. You know, this isn't going to permanently rechange our landscape. Uh, let's just do it the best we can while they're here. Or based on this two row wampum treaty, we all have a deal that like, okay, they keep building these fences. Have they right? not, have Which, they not looked at the upper left part of the wampum? I mean, it's super weird about the fences, but okay. Okay. Uh, but, Generally, you know, in general, like we're, they're hopeful. We're sharing this land. And if you're all about a fence around your little house, like that's fine and everything. But, um, there was just a a real lack of shared values when it came to when, well, when it came to private property, but also when it came to, uh, the value of media. I mean, weirdly pelts, fur pelts that had been worn by Native Americans for a period of six months to a year were more valuable on the Western market than raw fur pelts. More valuable to Europeans. To Europeans. Well, now, why is that? Because, Previously owned. Because in wearing them for six months, they um, they took the, the rough hairs, you know, they wore the rough hairs off of the fur and you, made them silky smooth. You don't want new car smell on your pelts. Right. You want- so, so actually having... Uh, having the tribes wear the furs for a season, uh, you know, like imparted more value, more seasoning. This is your them. vintage thrift store aesthetic. <laughs> you, you, you only wear pelts that have been worn by a, a, a brave for a while too. Well, so what happened was the Dutch started to manufacture wampum and started to industrialize it. Did they use real shells and just harvest them faster? Or did they, they find shell substitutes? They used real shells. They started to, um, they just had a much more efficient ways of drilling shells, polishing shells. Mm-hmm. Gradually, they did start to, because black shells were more valuable than white shells, uh, harder to find, rarer. rarer. I assume. Uh, the Dutch started to dye white shells black. Hey, hey, hey. I know. And then eventually. They're, they're wampum counterfeiters. Uh, eventually, they started to. Uh, impart like actual exchange value to shells so that eight white shells equaled four black shells and four black shells equaled one stuiver, which was uh, 20 stuivers to the gilder. And then there was... And the tribes probably weren't aware of all this and maybe would not have shared the ratios. Tribes were just like, oh, I don't know, man. But, but, But the influx of wampum... You know, because, oh, well, this is the thing about the Eastern Woodland tribes. They all used wampum, even if they had no, um, even if they weren't tribes from the coast, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, All the way into Pennsylvania, Ohio, wampum was still used in this way. It was, it was part of what made the tribes of the East kind of, you know, it was, it was their contribution, I guess, to the, the larger, um, 
civilization of the time. So all this extra wampum at first kind of was a boon. Um, it did have, it did get then turned into belts. It was used to document, um, it was a storytelling media. So you could, you know, in a belt recount the story of, of, a of a, a hero of mm-hmm. the tribe in general of an, of an, an event. This is true on our money today. I mean, in a very, very minimal way, if you want to, if you want to see Yosemite national park or, uh, or something on a state quarter, like we commemorate leaders and not battles so much, but buildings, we're more into buildings. We do like, we do like buildings. Not, not as, not as much like. We always pick buildings that kind of look the same. Like this coin. Is this Monticello? Is this the Supreme Court building? Who can say really? Right. They're all Greek revival buildings. Yeah, exactly. Other countries have cool money that have airplanes and stuff on it. Maybe one day. Yeah. They have the, even the European nations are now like really have an eye on a broader array of symbols, musical instruments and uh, animals. And we haven't really caught the vision. Yeah. Well, uh, soon, I guess. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. We can't uh, even get Andrew Jackson off our money. I don't know. The, la- the last election, which just happened earlier this week, maybe it has produced a new, a new generation of. Uh, Do you guys have a new currency already <laughs> in, the far, in the far future of November 5th? We're back to wampum. Uh, I think, and I think one of the, one of the recognitions that wampum was, uh, was valuable in this way. It happened pretty early on. A Dutchman by the name of uh, Jacques Elkins uh, kidnapped a Pequot sachem, uh, which is, you know, a tribal leader and held that, um, sachem for ransom, hoping to, you know, be presented with a bunch of furs or whatever. This was kind of, you know, this was the, the, um, the dark side of any frontier is just this, like everyone is in a state of total desperation all the time. And what happened was, uh, the tribes arrived with 280 yards of wampum as, um, ransom, what he considered ransom. Now, what they meant by it was, if you actually read the wampum, it says, uh, well, please stop kidnapping us. What the wampum was, was all of the, all of the wampum that, um, that told the story of this Sasha men, how important they were. Uh. And they were the wampum of that, of the office of that person. They were much more than just like, here's a bunch of wampum give us our guy back. It was much more like a a symbolic sort of like in exchange for this person, like here is the story of this person. And that was kind of one of the, one of the triggering events for the Dutch. Like, Whoa, this stuff is really, they hold this stuff as, um, it's just valuable stuff. And did they realize why? No. Oh, uh, that a lot of this information about the importance of wampum has only come as, uh, you know, in the subsequent couple of centuries, as the tribes have had the opportunity to explain its significance and their and themselves, so it's coming from their own oral histories. Yeah. our written ones were always missing the point because most of this wampum did not survive to the present day. Uh, the industrialization of wampum production caused wampum inflation. Oh, you hate when that happens. So that all of a sudden, the markets were flooded with wampum. They no longer. Um, and they had been divorced of meaning. Uh, sure. You get, if it's, it's just, if the Dutch do it, it's just monkeys on typewriters. Right. You get some wampum and it says, you know, pencil, rectangle, orange halo. And you're like, what? I don't want that wampum. 
and and during this sort of late um during the sort of 16th century transition when there were a lot when the the um the colonies started to do a lot more trade with the uh the caribbean sort of the slavers and rum runners of um of that period that were that that was a real caribbean economy but they were using doubloons and reals and and coins spanish coinage and so that coinage started to come into the american colonies as a medium of exchange and so the 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 need for wampum you know once you had an exchange rate like how many wampum uh, are equal a real and there's wampum inflation pretty soon the wampum goes sure. away like the good money will uh, will be hoarded just like on sea day everybody will prefer the prefer the more stable currency right it was legal tender in new england from 1637 to 1661 wait in england in new england Oh, in New England. <laughs> uh, in England, it never made it. <laughs> I thought it like, made its way over some reverse British invasion. Yeah, we're all using Welks, man. It's the new thing. In New York, it survived as legal tender as late as 1673. Um, and its use as a symbolic uh, media was not lost upon the colonists in their time in the subsequent couple of generations. So much so that George Washington uh, made a wampum treaty uh, with the Conondaiga as president. Conondaigua. Let me do that again. Uh, there's there. George Washington sort of commissioned a wampum treaty called the Conondaigua Treaty, which is a six foot long wampum belt that has 13 human figures holding hands representing oh. the 13 colonies. So it's got images in the images in, in the, the wampum. wampum. And this would have been as when he was president, so more than a century after Yeah, it's from 1794. So um so a So the a, tribes were still using wampum internally for its its symbolic value? I think the tribes even to this day hmm. uh, still still feel like wampum has tremendous symbolic value. And a lot of the wampum belts that you see in museums around the United States are, uh, there's a movement to repatriate those to the tribes because sitting in a museum, we're still doing the thing where it, it it's an artifact and not a living document. But to the Iroquois, that wampum belt may be um, not just symbolic, but but sacred. But at least we're not saying anymore that's 17 guilders. Right. Although, although there was a, uh, there was a company that, uh, started by John Campbell in Pasek, New Jersey, that manufactured wampum until the 20th century as increasingly, you know, a decorative bead. Um, if you want Indian decorative items, I think, feel like you would want them made by the tribe. You'd go to native Americans. You wouldn't go to some guy with a factory and, what did you say, Passaic? Somewhere in New Jersey? <laughs> yeah, well, and that is, um, there's now wampum being made as a native art form uh, using traditional methods. Probably it's, probably with representational images now to make it prettier for your for your Cape Cod uh, vacation house. It's weird. You see that a lot in, in uh, Native American crafts that are made for Western 
audiences. The uh, so the war rugs, and yeah, the, and the the, uh, the Thunderbirds and the and the Orca and whatnot. And a lot of it, uh, a lot of that is really from the language of the Haida, for instance, out here in in the Pacific Northwest. That's the that's the animal imagery you often see, like on the Seahawks logo. Yeah, and the uh, totem, totem poles. poles yeah, um, but there is there is, I mean, a, even some of the most valuable Native American rugs and jewelry were made for trade, and not you know the the things that really had um, symbolic significance. A lot of those things didn't survive. The, t- didn't survive that period of encounter and, you know, apocalypse really. I mean, there just weren't the, uh, there weren't the, the methods of transfer. Uh, a lot of the people, a lot of those names died. So it was the less important stuff that got traded to the Dutch or the British or whatever, and therefore survived. And a lot of the stuff that represented the tribal identity better was lost. I mean, there are some of the most important of those belts that do survive, um, the uh, the Hiawatha belt or Hiawatha belts, I guess, is a kind of belt. But but there is a Hiawatha belt that symbolizes the unity of the the five tribes um, created by Hiawatha, the legendary chief. Well, n- no, but but symbolizing. I mean, Hiawatha is one of these. Um, well, he was on the shores of the Gitchagumi. <laughs> Um, but, but is he a semi-mythical figure? Or? He's he has become he's become mythical, but he was a real uh, a real chief and one that this is a data point, by the way, in your 20th century you know redesign of Indians. Is Disney makes Hiawatha into a, a cute little Indian urchin. You know, he's not a strong warrior. He's kind of been defanged and made a a roly poly little kid in in Deerhide. Right? Isn't that and is that recently? No, that was like a 40s and 50s kind of thing. Where you know, and I'm sure. Disney thought they were doing the right thing by making a, a sympathetic Indian protagonist, but what they're really doing is turning a warrior into a cute teddy bear that you don't have to be scared of. Yeah, Hiawatha himself um, died, you know, prior to uh, first contact. Yes, um, and just prior, but uh, and it was really, you know, the first time he was turned into a chubby little friend was um, Longfellow. Uh, was Longfellow's uh, Song of Hiawatha, which was, what, 1850s. But at least there he's actually doing warrior stuff. I mean, yeah. he's, he's doing it in a, in a Finnish rhythm and meter. But it's but that's the Akkadian version, right? That's the yeah. uh, the Native American as... Bucolic. As, uh, yeah. Fr- fr- friend of nature. Uh, son, of, son of nature. Mother right? nature's son. Mother nature's son. Doom, 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 doom. In the final irony, well, in the... In the penultimate, kind of not irony. Uh, Let me know when we get to the ultimate irony. They're, they're, so, what was the anti-penultimate irony? I guess Hiawatha being turned into a little kid was the anti-penultimate irony. And the and the penultimate non-irony is that there are the tribes of the East Coast are now starting to uh, manufacture wampum, and there is um there is some aspect of that where they're not doing it for tourist dollars. They're trying to, in the same way that the Welsh are trying to recapture their dead language. This is more than a language. Uh, the writing of wampum is uh, is like profoundly important, and there, there's recognition of that in the tribes that are beginning to pursue and try to rediscover um, what that symbolic language was. 
I mean, even if it's only done in a token way, it keeps, I mean, uh, you know, in a way that doesn't actually, is no longer central to their economies or belief systems, or at least it keeps it alive so that, you know, it doesn't get to where there's only three people who understand how wampum worked and then nobody. Right. I mean, the, the fear, and I think the final irony is that, um, wampum, because it was used throughout the Hollywood era and throughout the 19th century as a kind of, uh, very recognizable decoration that's, that signified Native American, right? right? You could put a wampum necklace or belt on someone and, um, and probably an Italian actor. Yeah. Regardless of, of, of what it would have symbolized, it now became a decorative element. Mm -hmm. And so then that decorative nature of wampum then did become its own, um, its own use case of, of that material. It is just beads. They are just shiny beads. They're, they are, they are puka shells. Um, and puka shells probably have a symbolic meaning that I don't understand, but it didn't keep me from wearing a puka shell necklace. All well, there's the something 70s. universal about even today for an industrialized nation, seeing a shell on a beach and admiring its beauty. Right. I mean, that's survived. So, so there is then also a market for wampum as a, um, as jewelry. And, you see in this, and I'm not, I'm, this is not the episode on Cottagecore, it's coming, but the, you know, the kind of, I, I hear from a lot of people, I got a letter from a friend the other day that said, I, there's this Pendleton coat I release, I saw at a store and I really love it, but it's made out of a Native American blanket and I'm not sure if it's cultural appropriation for me to buy it. Right. What do you think? And I was like, it's a Pendleton jacket that was made for you. It's not <laughs> a You're you're overestimating the authenticity yeah. of this of this design. This 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 blanket is not uh, did not ever mean anything. It's a Pendleton jacket. It's meant for white ladies. Um but that sensitivity to cultural appropriation means that a lot of these these native handicrafts that were always meant for white people to wear now are making people feel weird or insecure. Just like me not even wanting to say the word wampum because I don't right. want to get it wrong. What if it's, is wigwam okay? I don't know. Send me a list. Right. It just, it depends on, on how you use it and how you mean it. But there, there's this whole fashion school of people in, in Palm Desert wearing giant hats with feathers in them and turquoise belt buckles and um, wampum chokers that I think if any native uh American would look at and just feel like it was such a jumble. It's sort of like, it's like any, any contemporary style. Like you have no sense of where the origins of these things are and what they, what they would ever have symbolized to us, but they symbolize to someone in Palm desert that you have money to burn and that you, and that can, you left LA is what they mean. I, I think the only appropriate thing to wear is tall black hats with buckles. Tall black hats with buckles, because you're then you're on safe ground and wooden shoes. You're part of the the oh, I see. Really tall black hats. I thought you were talking about like a Waylon Jennings look, <laughs> but Waylon Jennings is just a pilgrim that's got the top of his hat chopped off. Yeah, that's in fact that's how he got his look. He was, uh, you know, how Pepe Le Pew always gets a stripe on his back or whatever. Waylon Jennings right. was always like walking under low bridges and stuff. Uh, and I think that's what's safe for white people to wear. You can just wear wear pilgrim hats and wooden shoes everywhere, and you're above critique. The 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 final irony is that 98% of the wampum you're going to see now, which 
is still not very much wampum. I see very little wampum. But 98% is made in China. Because... Do they have the same whelks? Because it's the global... Uh, no, I mean, anytime you go into a raw bar in at JFK or Grand Central Station and order a big bowl of clams, you're eating those quahog clams that are the are the black shells of wampum. Well, I mean, that's a good metaphor for being in Manhattan anyway, if you're just eating money. Right. That's why we can't tax the rich. Down it goes. And that concludes Wampum, entry 1408.DE0206, certificate number 31448, in the Omnibus. Uh, the Omnibus is a uh, uh, important educational and uh, cultural institution of our time. It's kind of the Wampum, in a way, of the podcasting world, hoping to transmit some of the important values of our culture that we think will probably be lost soon when the alien alien pilgrims and Dutchmen arrive some it's, and st- try to stamp out our culture. It definitely, it, they are, omnibus episodes are passports and documents of authority and authenticity. Letters of transit. You can get it, go anywhere in the world with, a, uh, with an omnibus uh, t-shirt. Sure. I mean, if you're standing at a border and the guard is like, no passe, you can just hold up your phone and say, you've got to listen to this omnibus episode on mail trucks. Ah, es el episodio de los camionetas del correo. Es un bueno. And then he'll let you write in. Right in. The, the little, the little stripy gate will come up and. Uh, but in addition to its educational aims, uh, the omnibus had a pre- you know, in order to def- better propound and, and diffuse those aims, the omnibus was uh, available on a series of social media networks, each worse than the last. Uh, as at Omnibus Project. I'm at Ken Jennings on Twitter. John is at John Roderick on Twitter and Instagram, uh, where he sends pictures of broken uh, broken bathroom fixtures, mostly. Yeah, that's, that's, your brand. that's lately broken bathroom fixtures and dirty pants. <laughs> <laughs> it's so upsetting because you really want your house remodeled, but people keep sending you broken bathroom fixtures. That's not going to get the house remodeled. Yeah, I was I was texting with uh, with a friend back east and I said, you know, how's your quarantine going? And he was like, oh, I've got this cat that's got a skin disease. And I was like, oh, gross. And he said, yeah, you keep posting pictures of your dirty pants. But you have who, a very cute cat. you to talk? You have a cute cat to post pictures I of. I do. That's so a cute you're really cat. showing him up in the feline the department. I'm not a cat poster. You've put up a few. Couple. Are we allowed to name the cat? Are we saying? Are you saying the name of the cat on you can, your podcast? You can name the cat. Yeah. Okay. Because the cat is too young to consent to its online That's persona. true. But it's a cat. But Allie is uh, is a beautiful little kitten. Oh, that's sweet of you to say. I had nothing to do with it. I barely I barely know what to do. But Allie has Alieska is the name of the cat, and she has decided that I'm the one safe harbor. Everyone else wants to pick Everyone her up and, it and prods at her. Yeah, and just throw her around. And I'm the one place that. And you don't care when I'm laying on the couch. She will come and tuck herself in, but you know, into the crook of my arm because she knows that I'm not going to pull her hair. Isn't this also your approach to women? <laughs> yeah. If I pretend like I don't care about poking and prodding at you, maybe you'll come to me. Yeah, you just lay there and rest your weary head on my shoulder. And- uh, you could also send us physical items at uh, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Uh, send us your trade goods, uh, uh, trans-temporal Dutch, Dutchmen, Dutch people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bring us your, your slightly worn furs. If you just want to send us patterns of ones and zeros and you don't care about the physical shells and beads, 
you can send us the, those at the Omnibus Project at gmail.com. If you want to send us actual uh, 21st century wampum, by which I mean dollars, pounds, and euros, there is a way to support the show. That Isn't this good news for them, John? There's it a way to support is. the show that way. Uh, you can use Patreon to uh, pledge uh, your support at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Uh, it'll keep the show uh, profitable and therefore in existence. Because even though I'm saying it's an educational thing, if this was a money-losing proposition, we would drop it in the heartbeat. <laughs> Support the show. Uh, so if you're able to, uh, what a wonderful gesture that would be. And what a great feeling of uh, accomplishment and participation you'd have. Uh, the enjoyment of as a consumer you would have when you listen to the monthly addenda show or receive the other perks of, uh, of membership. Thank you for the one in 20 of you, roughly, who support the show. It's, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're the true fans. That's true. Also, if you do have any, any vintage wampum, really old wampum that was collected by your Dutch ancestors, let me encourage you to go to a local museum or tribe and find, uh, find maybe the real owners of that cultural patrimony and don't send it to us. No, we do not want to have to do a land acknowledgement every time we open the mail. But if you have a Pendleton jacket or some, uh, some turquoise jewelry that was your great grandmother's that she bought when she was living in an artist's colony in New Mexico, by all means, send that on. Yeah. They were, they were just trying to con your great grandma with that stuff. Yeah. It's not worth anything to you, but it is worth something to me. Uh, there are uh, communities forming around Omnibus. Even as we speak, you can look for the future links on Facebook or Discord or Reddit. Uh, and that might be it. I might be out of things to say. I thought I had... When does that ever happen? I thought I had a big wampum belt of, of things to say in the outro, but I think I got through it all. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past... We are here conveying information from our distant past in a game of perpetual telephone. We hope that you will retreat into your conch shells, which you call home. Oh, yeah. If we're speaking to Welks, maybe they find it very offensive that we've been using their corpses for money. Well, it's not us. It was our forebears. We And, and really, and when you think about it, it was the Lenape and the Wampanoag and... yeah. Well, well, we were just trying to fit in. <laughs> we're talking about you and I as as uh, Europeans. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, my ancestors were here then, and were absolutely trading in wampum. Yeah, but but, but they, they didn't were want innocent. to. No, they were. The innocent. Iroquois League made them. Do they it. were one hundred percent innocent. All they wanted was used fur. We apologize, zebra <laughs> muscles of the future. Uh, we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear, which is that the Welks come rise up and eat us in oyster bars in their version of Grand Central Station. Uh, We hope that that never comes, but if it comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.